RWJ Barnabas Health Telemed offers you two convenient ways to see a doctor anytime, anywhere, without having to come in for an appointment. If you're in need of urgent care, you can use our app to connect with a provider 24-7, right on your smartphone, tablet, or computer. Or you can use our website to schedule a virtual visit with an RWJ Barnabas Health Medical Group provider or specialist. And you can even register as a new patient. Book an appointment online at rwjbh.org slash telemed. Your safety has always been our top priority, and we've taken every precaution. So don't delay your care any longer. Get started today at rwjbh.org slash telemed. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Hello again, everyone. I'm Matt Laughlin. Welcome to this edition of Speak of the Devils, presented by RWJ Barnabas Health, the official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. Joined by Sam Kassan at a time that has the Devils fan base energized, Sam, I guess each and every year that is true because the Devils will be able to draft players that hopefully will help them down the line. And when you look to the future and look to the present, when you look at who they have on the roster and who they may add, it just ramps up the excitement and today we are focused on the draft uh, the draft is probably the best time of year just as you said filled with hope optimism every player is going to be a great player and that's how you go in thinking just just the possibilities i guess is what makes the draft so fun and so great you know we don't know what's obviously going to happen some guys are going to be great some guys are not going to be so great uh it's it's such a crapshoot but on the day of especially those two days there's just nothing but optimism and hope on what these guys could be, where they could project to, how they can help your team win, how they even moving forward. Cause some of these guys won't join the the squad for two years, maybe three years. But it, like I said, I, I love draft time because it's all about improving your team. And there's no one singular event where you really improve your team. I mean, you get seven, eight, nine guys in one day that could change the fate of your franchise, one really good draft. And, and that's the devil's fans obviously have had a few high end picks here over the last few years. And, Going to get another one in number four, a high-quality player that's going to have a huge impact on the franchise. And, and again, it may take one, two, three years for that player to come around and be ready. But nonetheless, the future looks bright anytime you have a high pick like this. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that because we have to keep in mind that these are teenagers still who are growing physically and they are maturing uh, emotionally. And so what you see is not necessarily the finished product. Yes, there are players who were men <laughs> as teenagers who you knew were going to be superb. And, you know, we use Connor McDavid as the quintessential example, but you need to let these players develop. And sometimes we lose that and gosh, so much pressure on them too. They've had success their entire lives. Always the guy that someone said, we'll take him first. Yep, when they're do- choosing up sides in a shitty game, yep, we're going to take that guy first. Uh, and now maybe they don't go first. Maybe they go 10th or they go 15th, and then they got to prove it all over again. So let's keep perspective and, and let's see what these players do. But it is exciting, that's, that's for sure. Now, what's most exciting is that, uh, again, it, it is a crapshoot, and the Devils have picks in every round, including two in the first round this year. And so they get to add depth. Who knows if they'll keep them all. Maybe there's a trade forthcoming. But what we get a chance to do on this show is we actually can turn things over to the real experts. Because 
yeah, I mean, I can talk about these guys. I know what I read and the little bit that I see, but I'm focused on the NHL and the AHL. So we have two guests who really know what they're talking about. And it's good to have the experts on, with all due respect to what you bring to the table. Oh, yeah. No offense. No offense <laughs> to you, Absolutely. You're, and you're right. We, we are focused mainly on the National Hockey League. So it's, it's better to bring these guys on who spend the entire year just reading about these guys, scouting these guys, and even just talking to scouts, interviewing scouts. You know, they, they get so much feedback. And as the listeners will hear, these guys really know what they're talking about. They, they know these this draft. I mean, we're talking players like that might be ranked 150th overall because we ask about a couple second round or second day players, fourth, fifth round, late guys. And in these, these guys are like encyclopedias. They run them off all the stats, all the information, where they played, how they did. And it's, it's actually really impressive. I'll, I'll say like my memory is not even that good, let alone have to do this every year with 400 plus players. It's really, truly amazing. Yeah, indeed. And so without further ado, we will let our listeners know that we're going to split this into two parts. Our first guest, uh, familiar to those who follow the NHL because he's got a big presence on NHL.com. He's Mike Morial. And then we'll come back and we'll spend some time with Steve Kornianos, who has uh, built a reputation and a big following as he's covered the draft for several years. We'll talk about their picks as we begin things with Mike Morial. Mike Morial and I go back a long way. Mike was working for a company called Dwarf Services and covering high school hockey in New Jersey for the Newark Star-Ledger. And I was cutting my teeth as well, covering high school sports and covering high school hockey as part of my responsibilities. And so it's been a long time friendship and it's good to be able to spend some time with Mike. How you doing, my friend? Very good, Matty, Sam. It's a, it's a pleasure to be with you guys. And yeah, Matt, it's it's been such a long time, right? Those days... Geez, I remember back in the 80s, uh, late 80s, uh, uh, you know, going to South Mountain Arena, it was called then. Now it's Cody Arena, but uh, going out there and watching some of the top teams and, and then some of the teams that were maybe in the lower divisions that had some exceptional talent, some great players, some great coaching. And that's the one thing we always admired about covering high school hockey, right, Matt, is, is the coaches, the dedication they put in, the time they put in uh, with these players. And to be quite honest with you, we saw quite a few exceptionally talented players in the high school ranks too. the George Paroses, the Kyle Palmieri's, uh, you know, following a Peter Herms or a John Walsh over at Seton Hall prep. It was, it was real special to be covering high school hockey and, and to have you there and to see you there and to be able to chat high school hockey was always a pleasure for me. It, it was a blast. And by the way, I go back a little longer than you. I've got a few more bits of uh, <laughs> salt in my hair than you do. I go back to Jimmy Dowd playing for Brick and and setting all sorts of records. And of course, it was a thrill to follow him when he became a member of the New Jersey Devils and helped them win their first Stanley Cup. Okay, so that is it with the uh, remembrances. <laughs> we go on to what the folks who are tuning in really want to hear, which is about the upcoming draft. And I think you touched upon something, though, when discussing our background. You, you know, we covered some players who were not in the top tier, but they were able to be successful. And the draft in many ways is like that. It's kind of like, all right, where are some of these guys going to come out of? Yeah, there are the stars and everyone focuses on the first round and we'll do a lot of that here. But boy, these players can come from anywhere. The scouts really have to do a lot of work, especially this year. What's the big challenge this year with the lack of play of draft eligible players relatively? The OHL shutting down, of course, and other leagues having limited play. 
Yeah, it, it's been a challenge, Matt. And this was something I discussed with a lot of the scouts in particular, you know, uh, you know, as an employee for the National Hockey League, I deal a lot with NHL Central Scouting uh, and the European uh, Central Scouting, which is run by Goran Stube over there in Finland. So the 2021 season was a challenge for sure. Traditional scouting methods were put to the test and and more focus was placed on video scouting. Uh, Central Scouting had access to two of the major video platforms. It was Instat and Sport Contract, and both allowed them to scout via video. And in fact, the video was even impacted by various return to play issues due to, to COVID outbreaks. So some prospects didn't play this season, Matt, as you said, some went overseas, a bonus for them. Uh, others had very limited play, which forced Central to, to focus more on video from late last season to evaluate you know, how those players performed. I think at the top of the draft, it might not be as unpredictable as maybe people think, Matt. And when I say the top of the draft, maybe the top 10, 15, there's probably some wild cards even in, in that range. But I guess, you know, you got the names like Owen Power, Matty Beneers, Simon Edvinson, Gunther, Hughes, Eklund. They're kind of on everybody's radar, right? There's lots of players here. The good thing is that um, most of the of the guys did play. I mean, it's not the same quantity probably that we're used to, but everybody's used to video resources. So it's not like you couldn't see a guy play 10 times. If you didn't see him live, you could see him 10 times uh, on video. So uh, while I think it was challenging for scouts this year, let's not forget every team is in the same situation, in the same boat. Maybe eight, and I always say this too, maybe five to seven years down the road, we'll look back at this draft and pinpoint maybe 10 to 15 players taken beyond round one, beyond round two that have turned out to be bona fide NHL stars. Speaking of the, the difficult issues that the, basically the various scouts have had to deal with over the years, how much film was looked at from previous years? I know you're looking at age growth. It's hard to predict, you know, you're looking at 16, 17, 18 year olds and trying to project where they're going to be at 23, 24 but now you're, you're even having to go one less year of looking at this. How much is that going to impact some of the way these rankings go throughout? I know you said they've done a lot of video work, but there's only so much a video can tell and only so much you can tell from a kid when he's only 15 or 16. Yeah, right, Sam. It, no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, fortunately, we do have the, the video services are have been updated from previous years. And when I say previous years, I mean, maybe five, seven years ago. I mean, you can get ISO cams on certain players. Um, you can watch just their shifts for an entire game, which was, I think, a benefit for a lot of the scouts. If you wanted to see power play or penalty killing, if that was a specialty of a particular player, you were able to ISO on that player to watch those particular shifts. So I think video played a big part. I think the one thing about video and from talking to, to scouts that was a negative, um, look, let me let me preface this before I say this by saying that nothing beats live scouting, right? You, you cannot replicate, you cannot duplicate live scouting because with live scouting, you get to see the player, every little nuance of the player. If you wanted to follow him in a particular game, let's face it, video, you're getting ISOs on a particular player. If you watched a particular game of a player you wanted to maybe learn more about, the camera's following the action of the puck, right? So you don't get to see that player as much as maybe you wanted to. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, with video scouting, you know, defensemen are always tough 
to gauge in video scouting because you want to see play away from the puck. And, and let's face it, 50, 60 percent of the time, defensemen, what they're doing is away from the puck, how, you, how they prepare for maybe, you know, uh, maybe a, a transition, a rush, a, a two on one, how those players are preparing. You, they won't be in the picture until late. So um, video scouting was an advantage. I, I think I think teams are becoming uh, a lot more comfortable in video scouting after what they had to do last year and then coming into this season, knowing uh, the objective for how they wanted to put together their draft boards and what they needed to see. Um, but again, Sam, that there's nothing like live scouting. And that's the one thing that all scouts that I've spoken to, uh, you know, in the past few months and creating some stories for .com, all scouts have said that you can't replicate what a player is doing. And even, even, uh, pregame warmups, right. We get to learn so much about a player in pregame warmups, particularly the goalies, how the goalies are receiving pucks, how they're making saves. Are they nonchalant? Are they upbeat? Are they focused? Do they look as though they're engaged in what this little practice session might be entailing? That's all a part of scouting. That's all a part of choosing a player, picking a particular player that you feel is going to benefit your franchise for for the next 10 years, hopefully. I know when you're meeting the guys, you're meeting them one-on-one, doing interviews, kind of talking to the guys as you scout, like through video, were they able to do Zoom calls or interviews like that? Yeah. Uh, yes. You mean with particular players, Sam? Uh, the scouts? Yeah, so, so obviously yes. when you go scout a guy, you go watch him, then you kind of talk to him, chat with him after the game is over. But okay. with, with video, you're only watching a game. Were they able to do any Zoom calls and interview any of these guys throughout the year? Right. Of course, when the scouts went to games, they weren't able to chat with the players uh, post-game. So that was all because of COVID regulations. Uh, but yes, every scouting department, and you know, I've spoken to the Devils as well, uh, they've, they've spoken to a lot, a lot of players this year, you know, in the range from maybe 50 to 60 players, um, hearing from a lot of scouts. I mean, they wanted to do their homework on these kids. They wanted to learn more about them, but even there, it's a challenge too. Uh, you know, I, I think you can, you can agree. Like, I think we all can agree is, is the fact that, you know, when you're sitting down with someone and interviewing them as, as uh, scouting departments would do at the NHL combine. Uh, traditionally, we haven't had the combine the past two years. Combine was a unique situation where uh, you're able to speak to maybe 20, 30 players, have them come into the suite area. Uh, they're surrounded by maybe five to seven scouts. It's a little bit intimidating. You want to see how players are going to react to that, how they're going to respond. Zoom, we're on Zoom, man. This is it. It's it. It's like, hey, how you doing? You know, this is my background. You know, so. Uh, you know, you can say all you want about the, the Zoom calls and it's great. You get to know the player, you get inside to, to what they're thinking, um, but it's a lot different. But I will say this, and a lot of scouts have, have said this, I would say maybe the past two to three years, Sam, the prospects haven't been as robotic. And by robotic, I mean the responses, the answers they provide for these scouts and general managers. They're more it seems like they're more, you know, off the cuff, you know, from the heart of uh, on details on what they're, what they want to become, you know, they know about the franchise that they're going in to speak to. They they've done homework in that regard too, because a lot of the questions do come. Do you know this guy? Do you know this guy from our team way back when uh, who's your favorite uh, New Jersey devil? 
Um, so uh, they they do their homework. They know what they need to do. And let's face it, those international and European players, isn't it amazing how they're able to come to North America, learn the language as quickly as they do, uh, and be able to answer questions, uh, important questions uh, uh, that would uh, obviously um, – you know, play a big role in their future in the National Hockey League, the best league in the world. So I give the Europeans and the international players a lot of credit. Those Russians, the Finns, the Swedes that come over, the Czechs, uh, learn the language, want to make an impact for an NHL team and know this is what they have to do to to make that impact. So uh, the interviewing process is ongoing. It's just not post-game. They do do have the Zooms. um, And and it is effective, but it's never going to be as effective as, uh, as live interviewing. You mentioned the Euros and obviously Nico Heischer, big, uh, big devil, had a great interview with the team. And I just want to follow up real quick and then I'll let Maddie jump in. But you said that the players are less robotic coming in. Like, why do you think that is? Why do you think the, the player, the young kids now are a little more speaking from the heart as opposed to just kind of going through maybe what they were taught to say from, from years past? I think I think there's some, you know, agencies and agents have learned that, uh, you know, a lot of these clubs want uh, players that, uh, you know, speak from the heart, speak to what their desires are, how, how they want to get to the NHL, you know, um, you know, the, the, the type of, the type of players they are. I, I think players in general too see a lot of the captains. I, I think, and I've, I've spoken to quite a few prospects in this class, which by the way, I think is exceptional. And I know you hear different, different things from different people, we haven't seen a lot, but I do think this draft class is a good one. Um, but uh, a lot of them have told me that, you know, they watch the Sidney Crosby's, you know, they watch the Nico Heeshears, uh, you know, they, they watch these captains that when they get in front of the microphone, um, they're kind of themselves. They don't have to say anything that uh, makes the the organization, you know, uh, uh, look, look, uh, on a higher level than anyone else. Uh, they speak the truth in a loss. They'll speak the truth and, and, and in a win, they'll do the same thing. They'll credit their teammates. And I think that plays a big part too. You see a lot of that in the prospects today. They're not just talking about themselves, but they're talking about their team. They're talking about their coaches, uh, coaching staffs and how the coaches have helped them elevate their game and get to where they are today. Um, so, I just think it's it's through time, Sam, that we've seen a little bit of a change in the player. Um, obviously, the parenting and the, and the support supporting cast that these young players have today, I think, is an important role. You look at um, the Hughes family, right? Jim and Ellen Hughes, what they've done with Quinn and with Jack and and now with Luke, who's coming through this draft class as well. I think it's an exceptional thing. You know, I, I talked to Jim and Ellen um, on occasion. And, and, you know, we talk about this very subject and never will there be a time when, when they tell their kids what to say or how to say it or what they need to say to make, to make themselves look good. They let them be themselves. And I think that's very important, uh, to today's young athletes, to today's game. And I think that's what makes all these hockey players, all our hockey players, uh, our professionals, um, you know, sound so good and look so good. And it makes for some great quotes. So it makes writing that much more easier, Sam, doesn't it? <laughs> that's what we really care about. Let's yeah, <laughs> exactly. And you know what? Let's get rid of, I just want to be a 200 foot player that the coach can rely on quotes. Let's get, let's get something, even though that's important. 
let's get to something that's a little more in-depth and a little bit more enjoyable. So let's cut to the chase then, Mike. Uh, You mentioned Luke Hughes, and at that moment, I think even more so than before, the Devils fan who was listening went, oh, 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 does that mean the Devils? Uh, So how do you see things going? Did Owen Power absolutely solidify the number one selection with his performance in the world championship? Do you have any doubt that he will go to Buffalo? I don't, Matt. I, 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 I think Owen Power is the best player of this draft class. And I think, as you said, that performance at the world championship kind of solidified that. You know, this season in general at Michigan, I think he became more of a physical player. He learned to pick his spots better when jumping in from the start of the season. I think his, his all-around game improved, pivoting, uh, play without the puck. You know, Michigan is a team that uh, Mel Pearson, the coach, they want to play fast. So at times you have to let the puck do the work. And, and I think he adjusted to that, played a lot quicker and was really good. And yes, a real big presence, Matt, with good vision and strength. He has the look of a first pair NHL defenseman to me. Uh, he had 40 block shots, so he'll sacrifice the body. In addition to the 16 points he scored uh, for the Wolverines this year, uh, was a plus 18 in, in 26 games. Uh, was named to the Big Ten All-Freshman team. You know, I had a story right after the World Championship on power and a little insight from scouts and and Canadian players. And Darcy Kemper said that power is such a young kid, but he played like a 10-year veteran. I mean, and then Coach Gerard Gallant said that, you know, he's going to be a special player in the NHL one day. Um, so he had three assists at the World Championships. I I I think he had a little over 20, he averaged over a little over 20 minutes a game in seven games. Um, so Canada won the gold medal. And, and I think Owen Power certainly um, uh, solidified his status as, as the number one pick here. Moving ahead to number four then, and you kind of can combine what might happen at two and three, uh, is Luke Hughes available? Uh, who might be there for the New Jersey Devils who, if power goes one, who goes two and three and what are the devils looking at? Yeah. Uh, so th- it gets kind of, it gets kind of risky or, or I don't know, risky is the right word, but um, unpredictable. Let's say that it's a little bit unpredictable. And, and I, I, I talked to Dan Moore about this, uh, the director of NHL central scouting. And even he said that, you know, when they did their final rankings, Numbers two through six were the toughest to determine. He said every scout in that room had a different player at a different spot. And it all came down to what each scout thought of that particular player when they happened to see them. And they had a majority opinion that way. So, uh, you know, I personally, Matt, I, I like, you know, I do like Matty Beniers, the center for Michigan. Uh, he's a driver. He gets to the puck. Uh, he goes with it. First instinct is to attack. And as soon as he makes a play, it's it's not let me look how my pass went. It's it's more boom. You know, he's on it. And if there was a rebound, he's on the rebound. If the puck goes in the corner, he's in the corner. An extremely effective player. And I, it was unfortunate what happened at the at the World Championships. Uh, he did sustain an injury there against Slovakia in the quarterfinal round victory. Um, had to go back home. Uh, missed the last two games of the tournament. So now it's still we're still wondering when Maddie might be able to come back. But all the elements are there, Matt, for 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 Beniers as uh, possibly going uh, number two in this draft. Uh, you know, I like I compare him to a Bo Horvat. There are others that compare him to a Jonathan Taves. 
uh, when I do comparisons, I don't like to compare players to future or you know, future Hall of Fame players. That's just my thing. So uh, I, I would say I like Beniers. He's more of like a Bo Horvat uh, type of player. And then, you know, uh, you look at Luke Hughes, uh, you know, at, at number at number three in the draft, I, I do like either Simon Edvinson. Uh, from Sweden or William Eklund from Sweden, two international prospects that really uh, prove their worth this year. Um, I, I think it could go, it probably could go either way with, with either one. I, I like Eklund. He was named the rookie of the year in, in the Swedish hockey league, which is quite an outstanding accomplishment for a young, you know, 18 year old player. It goes about five, 10, 176 pounds left wing and, Oh, by the way, you know, he plays for your garden. Oh, by the way, he was a line mate of Alexander Holtz. So there are all sorts of connections yeah. here, whether family or team wise. <laughs> right? So I do like, uh, I do like William Eklund in that regard. Simon Edmondson, another potential two or three pick there. I think he could go in that range. Six, four, 198 pounds physical. He's a left shot D good set of tools. Mobility skating has a real strong, uh, real strong shot. He played with Frolanda. He averaged, um, he averaged a, a little over five and a half minutes. He played 10 games in the Swedish hockey league this year, which is quite an accomplishment for a young player, as we all know. Um, and then at number four, Matt, at least in, in my mock draft, knowing what the devils, you know, need, um, uh, 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 not only need as far as positionally, but, uh, uh, you know, where that player might play at, at the point. And in Luke Hughes, I think you have the best of both worlds. Uh, uh, you know, Luke this year with the national team development program, he's a left-handed shot, but he also played uh, most of the season. He played the, the right side as well. So he can play either side. Um, you know, he's a great skater, plays a, a, a smart defensive game good poise, uh, can read the play real, real well. He had 34 points before he sustained, uh, you know, that, that injury, um, uh, lacerated tendon in his foot from a skate cut in March. Uh, but he's been skating. Uh, he, he's two weeks ahead of schedule. Um, you know, I was talking to Quinn Hughes a couple weeks ago uh, about his status. You know, he's been skating with Luke and he says he looks great. Looks like, uh, you know, the injury hasn't even phased him. So, he might, he's probably good to go. Now I've heard comparisons here to Eric Carlson and, and what Luke is able to bring to the table. How is he different from Quinn? Obviously it's the size difference. Quinn, uh, Luke is about six to, uh, you know, 175, 80 pounds. So he, he's a lot taller than his brothers and uh, everyone's wondering, well, where in the heck does he get this size difference? You know? And, uh, it's, it's all about, he, well, Quinn told me it's, it's the pop gene, uh, from his, their grandfather's side, the, the grandpa's is the tall one in the family. And they said, who's going to get the pop gene. <laughs> so that, that, that happened to be Luke. So Luke has the height advantage. Um, you know, Quinn and Luke each have unique styles. They, they can both skate real well, have smarts to take charge, control the play and generate offense. Luke to me has more of a defensive first approach. And he improved his offensive game in the second half of last season, which was fantastic to see uh, prior to his injury. Um, but that's where I think Luke really shines is his defensive posturing, his gapping, uh, you know, how he how he uses his sticks and stick in the corners to eliminate uh, opposing four checkers. And I think that's an important part, something maybe the de possibly the Devils could be looking for 
in this draft, a defensive guy who seems to have a, a real high ceiling when it comes to offensive production. Um, and on top of that can play both sides. So uh, I think Luke Hughes is a, is a target here that, uh, you know, devil's fans. And, hey, look, if he comes in, that'd be fantastic that he's with Jack. Um, but you just don't know what, what Tommy at Tommy Fitzgerald and, and the scouting staff are thinking, but it would be kind of neat to see them on the same team. Yeah, absolutely. And last name aside, uh, out of, cause you obviously followed the New Jersey devils a lot, you know, kind of what their needs are. When you look at say Edvinson, Hughes and Clark all available, which one do you think is the best fit maybe for the devils? Oh boy. Um, well, obviously Edvinson has that size, right, Sam? I, I really like the size of this kid. He, ha- he plays a, a, a physical game. Um, I think you can't go wrong. I know the Devils and, uh, you know, the pundits will say that, hey, they need someone on the right-hand side to, 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 to really contribute in that facet. And let's, hey, you know, let's also remember, I guess, remind fans here that, you know, this player, whoever the, the Devils do draft, 95%, I can guarantee he's probably not going to play on the team next year. This this kid is going to have to mature. He's going to have to marinate uh, wherever he goes next year. And in this case, for, for Luke Hughes, it, it, you know, it would be uh, the University of Michigan under a great coach and Mel Pearson. It could be two years that he plays there. That's how long Quinn played um, So uh, before he turned pro. So um, but Simon Evanson is a player that will go probably go back to Sweden. Uh, the the Sweden uh, junior national team just released their uh, under 20 uh, uh, players today, in fact. And, and Simon Evanson is on that list. So he has a real good chance. And I think he's going to be a big part of the world junior team next year for Sweden. Um, and then you mentioned Brant Clark there, too, uh, Sam. You know, I love Brant Clark and, and Brant Clark is a right handed D. Um, he's, he's more of an offensive type guy, uh, than I think Luke Hughes is Luke is more of that defensive posture, um, with some, with that offensive upside that's you see, see coming along. Brant Clark is that offensive puck mover. I mean, he will move the puck. He will on the transition. He's going to provide those outlet passes. Um, so I do like Brant Clark here too. My, my gut instinct and, and the player that I have the devil's taking at four right now. It is Luke Hughes. Um, but I think I think Simon Edmondson, Hughes, or Brant Clark would all be exceptional picks for, for the Devils at number four. And hear me out here, but obviously the Devils needs on defense, but let's say they pull the cat out of the bag and, and go forward. Are there any fours that jump out to you? Maybe like a Dylan Gunther or somebody like that scoring type winger, that finisher type player that maybe, obviously I know they got Alexander Holtz last year, but is there any chance, any possibility you see the Devils going kind of surprising people and going with a forward. Yeah. A guy like Gunther a lot, Sam, that's a good pick right there. I, you know, six, one, 175 pounds played with Edmonton this year, uh, represented Canada at the U 18s. Um, and is the type of player that will play any role you give him. And, and I say that because at the U 18s, a lot of people at the end of that tournament saying, well, what happened to Gunther? He only had a few, you know, a few goals. Uh, he didn't really seem to contribute. Well, if you watch the U 18s closely, you notice that Gunther was put in a certain role by the coaching staff there. They wanted him to, to PK. They wanted him to kind of play like a shutdown role as a, as a, as a winger for the, for that Canadian team. And you know what? He was outstanding. I, I thought he had a great tournament. I, I, I thought, you know, he proved that, you know, 
when given a task, he can do that task. You know, in the Western Hockey League, I thought he, he was great, too. He's an elite goal scorer, no doubt about it. 12 goals, 12 assists, six power play points in 12 WHL games this year. Um, so he's been compared by some to Miko Rantanen. So when you, you get that kind of comparison, you know, you're Rantanen with the hard shot, um, can play that edgy type of game. Gunther's uh, kind of in that same boat. And the two other forwards I'll mention here that I, I did touch a little bit upon, you know, if Matty Beniers happens to fall through the cracks, a Kent Johnson, another player from the University of Michigan. This will be the first year, guys. I'm just getting off target here, but this will be the first year, no question about it, that three uh, players from the same university, same college team will be drafted in the first round. You know, you're going to have uh, you're going to have Matty Beniers drafted. You're going to have Owen Power drafted. Um, and then you're going to have uh, Ken Johnson drafted. And Ken Johnson, to me, I, I tell you, this the ceiling of any player in this draft, the ceiling might be the highest for Kent Johnson and what he can bring to the table. Uh, this is a six foot one, 180 something pound forward that resembles to me Patrick Kane when he's skating with the puck up the ice. This is a guy that'll go north, south, east, west. He'll do whatever it takes to, to, to take the puck, distribute it, and then get into the offensive zone and become that playmaker that, that you'd want to see. And he also has a fantastic shot and what he's been able to do. So I would throw Kent Johnson in the mix with the Matty Beniers and then the William Eklund. Uh, I think there's a, there's a real good chance that William Eklund drops to, to, to number four here. And if, if so, maybe the devils might want to give it a shot as, you know, as we talked about, he has that connection with, with Alexander Holt. So maybe there's something there as well. And that will be one of the decisions that have to be made. If in fact, one of those guys do slide down and Luke Hughes or Brand Clark are available, there'll be some pressure. The fan base would love to see the Hughes boys play together. And certainly Luke's got a high upside. Maybe even the Hughes family would like to see the brothers play together. But then that's when you've got to res you, you've got to take the emotion out. That's what all these meetings are about now. As emotional as the meetings can become, now that guy's not the sixth best player, as you said. The arguments that take place among scouts. But then that's where you have to have a calm, cool, collected. What does our chart say? You know who? What do our rankings say? And then go with it, and you know worry about any potential PR fallout after that. And so that's why the Devils, to me, are really in an interesting position because of the family connection and, and what Luke Hughes or, or Brant Clark could mean. More Luke than Brant, just simply because Jack uh, is the first overall pick. So interesting conversations, I'm sure, taking place among the Devils scouts and, and leading up to the draft. Any outliers, Mike? Anybody that we should keep an eye on that might jump up a little higher than people are thinking at this point? You know, when I, when I look at some of the outliers and I'll be I'll be writing stories on NHL.com on a lot of these these players. But um, I, I like to look at uh, some some of those players with uh, with dads who played in the NHL, too, that are going to be selected. I, I look at a guy like Tyler Boucher right now. who He's number 25 in NHL Central Scouting's ranks of North Americans. Tyler was, is a player that was injured uh, most of the year. Um uh, you know, he's this, obviously the son of Brian Boucher, a goalie for 13 NHL seasons. But the funny thing, 
the fun thing about Tyler is he was like, I don't want any part of gold funding that, you know, that's that dad did that. I, I watched it. I don't want to have to deal with it. And, and, you know, Mrs. Boucher said the same thing. No way you put me through that, that hell again of, of, you know, what your father went through with Tyler brings and for his size, six, one, 205, five pounds. He's a right wing. He he's in that, he's in that, uh, he's in that, uh, Matthew Kachuk, Brady Kachuk, mold where he's an instigator. He likes to get under the skin of players. Uh, you know, he's got good vision. He's got that hockey sense that you would expect, uh, you know, from, from a son that, uh, uh, played in the NHL with a dad and he can fly with the puck, you know, at the same time he's thinking, uh, to make the right play. And so that's, that's a deadly combination. Had his knee scope, uh, in April, but by all reports is doing real well. So, uh, he he's one Josh Doan, uh, the son of, uh, Shane Doan, he was passed over in the 2020 draft. It was a bit of a surprise. He goes about 6'2", 180 pounds. He played for Chicago in the, in the United States Hockey League. He's he's number 87 on uh, Central Scouting's uh, final rankings, but has shown glimpses of playing, you know, a heavy game with some skill thrown in like that. Good skater, uh, pursues the puck hard, is quick in the tight spots, very strong with the puck, protects it well down low and, and is hungry. So, you know, uh, Josh is one player. And then, uh, you know, thinking about the devils here, there are some right-handed defensemen who could slip through the cracks and become, you know, bona fide stars one day. I, I really like this right-handed D right now. He's ranked number 39 in central scouting's ranking goes about six to 195. Scott Morrow. He's of Darien, Connecticut. He played at Shattuck St. Mary's scored 48 points there in 30 games. He's described as, as maybe a John Carlson uh, like skater. Uh, an offensive contributor. He's committed to the University of Massachusetts, really passionate about the game, about getting better. Uh, he could have played at Fargo in the United States Hockey League, but decided to remain at Shattuck. And I think it was a great decision uh, on his part. And of course, we all know who who was the last player to attend the University of Massachusetts and then star in the NHL. Uh, it was Kale McCarr, uh, taken fourth in, in 2017 after two college seasons. So uh, he's one player. And then one more I'll mention uh, – uh, Maddie, uh, Brent Johnson, another right-handed D. Uh, first full season at Sioux Falls this year. He's number 38 in Central's ranks. Had 11 goals, 32 points, and 47 games. A shoulder injury ended his season prematurely, but still put up a ton of points. He logged over 24 minutes a night. I mean, we all look for that, right? We want to see that big minute muncher when it comes to defensemen that can really, you know, play in big minutes. So transitions well, has some offensive push in him. Uh, he's from Dallas, Texas. Uh, he's committed to, to North Dakota uh, next season. Great skater, good shot, protects the protects the puck well as a puck mover, and he can contribute on the power play. And the comparisons I'm hearing uh, with Brent are, are like a Tyson Barry uh, type defenseman. So there are a few that that could fall, you know, maybe second round, third round that I think uh, uh, if they're there, I, I would like to see the Devils take them at least. Well, even late first round, they have the late first round coming from the Islanders, which might yes. end up being the 32nd pick overall. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And you know, it's funny but you say that. Fourth moves up to third then. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's funny you say that. And maybe, you know, goaltending, right? Uh, everyone kind of pushes it to the side when it comes to the draft. Like uh, the goalies are going to take a little longer, like five to seven years. Why do we need, you know? But if you can get an exceptional goalie in this draft, and believe me, I think there's a chance we could see as many as three goalies go in this first round. I think 
there are three goalies in this draft with number one starting potential, maybe three, four years down the road, maybe as early as two years. Look at Spencer Knight, right? But the thing is, and you guys can can discuss as well if you want, is, is you look at the four remaining teams in the Stanley Cup playoffs right now, each with a starting goalie that was a first-round pick in the draft. And you cannot put more of an emphasis on goaltending in today's game because it's those teams with those quality goalies, those goalies that are able to get it done in clutch situations that uh, you know seem to always rise to the top when it comes to the Stanley Cup playoffs, when it comes to big-time moments and big-time games. So I think that second pick, as you mentioned, Sam, if – if the Devils hop and hop and have an opportunity to draft a Sebastian Cosa, um, you know, I, I think he would be a, a legitimate uh, pick right there for the Devils. This way they have another goalie in the bank. I, I know, you know, Akira Schmidt recently signed by the Devils. Maybe they give him a shot in training camp. Maybe he starts in the AHL. Uh, we'll see. But, um, uh, you know, it's. It, I think it's always a good thing to have as many goalies as possible, as, as many good goalies. And particularly this year, I think you have uh, goaltending as a strength of this draft class for sure. Somewhere Chico Resch is smiling. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Well, Mike, thanks very much for the insights. It's an exciting time for everyone involved in hockey uh, and your comments and the players you've outlined certainly will help our Devils fans prepare for the draft, even though our fans are totally into it, but it certainly enhances their experience. Thanks very much for your time. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Sam. So just a quick wrap up and thanks again for Mike giving us so much of his time. But, you know, we started the conversation with the friendship that I've had with him over these many years. And I remember when Jim Dowd broke on the scene and of course he did help the Devils to a Stanley cup championship, but boy, Talk about a unicorn, right? A guy from New Jersey having that kind of an impact and then having that long of a career, unheard of. Now you look around and there are Jersey stars in the National Hockey League. So, uh, yeah, the sport in this state has come a long way. And I, lo I love Mike's take, too. And obviously you guys go way back. And I thought actually the, the most poignant thing he had to say was that in his mind, you always draft the best player available because you don't know when they are. And and I hit him with the, the the hardball, what if the Devils take a forward? And, you know, obviously everyone talks about them needing a defenseman, and there is a need, obviously, on defense. But if, if they come to the number four slot and they've got a forward rated above a defenseman, I wouldn't be surprised if they take that forward. And, and I, I think he agrees with that approach. And maybe fans won't understand that. But, again, down the road a couple of years, you don't want to say you passed on uh, Sidney Crosby because you had a need of defense and you end up taking somebody else. And I'm sure no matter who they take, it's going to be a good player. But – yeah, you know, they have a need for scoring on the offensive side. They have a need for defense. So I, I think it might be more of a crapshoot than, than maybe fans are expecting. Yeah, when you get down to it, uh, go with the BPA, best player available. Trust your uh, board. Trust the fact that the work that your scouts have put in will pay off. We'll see who the Devils take at number four. So I've known Mike a long time, and we have many conversations during the course of the year. But our next guest, um, meeting him via Zoom for the first time. I followed him for a while, Steve Cornianos, who has built quite a reputation as a guy who's a go-to guy if you want to get some in-depth knowledge about who might be available and who teams will pick. Yeah, and, and he's a guy who does the scouting himself, too, is able to see some of these guys, watches a lot of film, watches a lot of tape. So, you know, there are some guys that just kind of talk to scouts and and get feedback from teams and get feedback from central scouting. And then they kind of take all that consensus and build their own kind of idea. 
Well, Steve's a guy who does it himself. He's he's in he's in the grind. Obviously, COVID, as he, he fans will hear, COVID made it a little difficult for him to do his normal routine. But he, he's he, I like that he actually he's not only a writer, he is a scout in, in a sense. So he's doing the dirty work. He's getting his forming his own draft boards, making his own draft analysis. And, and so when you talk to him, it's almost like talking to a scout, almost like talking to a draft expert in in many ways. So I love his take. And and again, as the fans will hear. I feel like he knows every single thing about every single player in this draft. You name a guy and, you know, from overseas that might be a sixth round pick and he'll tell you where he played, how he did, what injuries he had. Like the guy's incredible. He's just absolutely brilliant. Yeah. He is a fountain of information. And so let's bring in a uh, guest part two, if you will, on speak of the devil, Steve Cornianos. And it's a pleasure to introduce and meet Steve Corianos, who joins us on the podcast. Steve, thanks very much for your time. Really looking forward to your insights and your comments on the upcoming draft. You, of course, can follow Steve at the Draft Analyst, thedraftanalyst.com. First off, how did you get into this business? Well, I've always wanted to be a sports writer. Uh, and then uh, well, I always wanted to play sports first, and I realized I wasn't good enough to play. So uh, <laughs> I think that's a threat a lot of us uh, kids share. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I just grew up always reading three, four newspapers in the house and wanted to get into sports writing. And so with hockey, I was just captivated one day. It was sometime in like the late 80s where I saw the draft itself. And the NFL draft, you know, with Pete Rozelle was a little bit different. But with hockey, you had this, these entourages going up to the stage. And it had such a, a thick Canadian theme to it. And as a kid from Brooklyn, it was another world. And I was instantly captivated by it. And from that point forward, it was subscribing to the hockey news, getting the draft guide and getting into prospects and uh, I just felt like there was a little bit of a, a, a void in terms of the way that the draft was covered here in America. We know in Canada, they do a great job, but as far as like from an American angle, we didn't really have that uh, as far as NHL prospects went. So I just decided to create my own blog and, and here we are uh, five, six years later. Fantastic. I love it. Self-starter. How many games do you see? What, what's the setup as you prepare throughout the year, who to look at, and then of course, conduct your mock drafts, et cetera? I, I try to get in at least at a minimum two games a day. And obviously with the COVID uh, situation, uh, the travel was limited. Uh, there was barely any travel this year, actually. But luckily with modern technology, there's a lot of streams. So I could basically stream uh, any game from any league at any time. So there are days where I've watched six games. Uh, and the, the beauty of video is you, you have to go back and cut clips and you know kind of really focus in, do like a shift by shift, uh, shift type uh, deal. Uh, so uh, there's been a lot of, uh, work more work this year than in the past in terms of video and video scouting. But uh, I think you still get a pretty general idea about how good these kids are and what their strengths and weaknesses uh, are moving forward and try to assess what their potential is. And we're going to talk about some of those players. We'll start off though. Is Owen power unquestionably the number one guy? Uh, I would say after what he did at the world championships, in addition to what he did with Michigan this year and his, high pedigree before the season. I'd say he's as close to a lock as we have, which is a good thing because we really didn't have that consensus number one all season. And if it took a seven game tournament for him to do that, but he he was so spectacular uh, in that, in that competition, playing for team Canada, playing for Gerard Gallant, who upped his minutes as the games meant more. That's a big deal for an 18 year old defenseman, especially that he's a defenseman. Uh, So to answer your question, yes, I think he's uh, almost a, a lock to go first overall, but uh, he's got some competition. Though. There's a lot of good players. So if that's one defenseman off the board. Obviously, the Devils have a need on defense. 
who do you kind of see falling to them and which kind of guys do you think best fit the, whether it's the devil system or style, which defenseman do you think would be a good fit for New Jersey? Well, that's a good question. They, they have a lot of defensemen on the left side in the organization from previous drafts. And of course they have Ty Smith who had a fantastic rookie season this year. So uh, from a need standpoint, I would say they probably need a right defenseman more than left. If that's what they're gunning for, for the fourth overall pick. And there's a right-handed defenseman named Brant Clark out of uh, the OHL in, uh, in, uh, in Barry, and he actually played in Slovakia uh, uh, this year because of the OHL shutdown. But he's a right shot. And the thing about uh, he's got ties to the Devils organization because his brother Graham is a, a winger who the Devils drafted a few years ago. Uh, so he's a, a power play quarterback, uh, instant breakout, uh, incredibly high hockey IQ, good size, leadership qualities. And he's got a really good. I like his enthusiasm. He, he has a, a love for the game. Uh, now on the left side though, you have another family situation and that's Jack Hughes's uh, younger brother, Luke. Uh, people have been telling me about Luke for years. Every time I went to USA hockey arena and I'm watching Quinn Hughes and I'm watching Jack Hughes, I'd have everybody come up to me and say, Hey, wait till you see this kid, Luke. And look at the time it was like 11 to 12. I'm like, all right, I guess I'll have to wait. And I waited and it was worth it. Cause he's fantastic. Uh, a big mobile, uh, playmaking defenseman. He's a beautiful skater. He's got the size and the strength that Quinn uh, never really had. Uh, so I would say that uh, in terms of draft year pedigree, draft year accomplishments, uh, there's a lot of similarities with what Quinn did. I don't want to go as far to say that he's exactly going to be what Quinn Hughes is, but you know, it's going to be nice for a guy like Jack to have his brother uh, playing alongside him. So those I think are the two best options for the devils right now in defense. And then further down, you have guys like Carson Lambos, the lefty Simon Edvinson, the big mobile defenseman out of Sweden, uh, who's a little bit more of a project. Uh, but I think if we're looking at defensemen for the Devils, it's going to be between Luke Hughes and, and Brant Clark. And uh, it's a lot of debating going on right now within the, the Devils fan base. So uh, we'll have to wait and see. But either way, you're going to walk away with a really good defenseman, whether you're picking Power or Edmondson or Lambos or uh, Clark or uh, Hughes. So the uh, Devils are in a good spot right now. Do you see a lot of these guys being top two defensemen, whether it's a Hughes or a Clark? Yeah, I think I think they all have – quote unquote, franchise carrying potential as, as like a max ceiling because they've all been number one defensemen for their respective teams. None of these kids were, let's say, uh, uh, benefiting from a strong lineup or anything like that. Luke Hughes, number one on the NTDP. Brand Clark went to play with adults in Slovakia within about a week. He was their number one defenseman. Uh, so uh, I, I like the fact that a lot of these kids have played against adults. They're mature. They got the size uh, and the strength. So there's... Really, the signs are pointing to them being in the NHL a lot sooner than later. And thinking outside the box, obviously, when drafts come around, you want to take the best player available. Well, if a couple guys fall and do the Devils, do you see them maybe taking a forward if a guy really stands out to them that they might want? Because obviously, it's going to take a couple of years. I know fans think you got to fill a need, but sometimes the best player available is the way to go. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, uh, there's a forward who was Alexander Holtz's linemate in Sweden for U Gardens. And obviously the Devils are going to scout the guy that they drafted. And his name is William Eklund, and he's absolutely dynamic. He's a lot of fun to watch, about 5'11", buck 75, but he's a, he's a tough inside player in addition to being a dynamic skill type. So he's a pure wing. I don't think he could really play center if they asked him to uh, because he's got that dynamic scoring ability. He's so dangerous inside or out. Uh, so, uh, you know, the devil's going to go out and scout and check on Alexander Holtz's progress. They watched this kid have one of the best U18 scoring seasons in SHL history. Uh, so he's one that comes to mind. You also have uh, the center map in years. I know the devil's are pretty loaded at center and they've gone 
uh, with centers with some of their top picks in recent years. But, but Matt Benier is an American kid out of the Boston area, uh, played for Michigan with Owen Power, I uh, was invited to play with the uh, the Team USA uh, World World Men's Team uh, that just took part in that tournament. Uh, uh, incredible work ethic, strong kid. He's a uh, one of the typical like we need to win uh, or we need a key moment. We need someone to to be a problem solver, and that's the type of player that Matt Beniers is. Uh, and then you got his other Michigan teammate, Kent Johnson, who's just a fantastic playmaker. He played center in the BCHL, which is the Junior A League in Canada, to maintain his college eligibility, but then he went to Michigan. And uh, when Beniers left to go play for Team USA at the World Juniors, uh, you know, Kent Johnson was there. He worked his way up from the fourth line and was one of the top scoring freshmen in Division One hockey. So he's the guy with that does the lacrosse goals and the spinoramas. So uh, th- there are a couple of options there. There are other guys that could go on as well. Dylan Gunther, the kid uh, in the Western Hockey League that some consider a potential top two pick. And then you got the physical mean types in uh, Mason McTavish, and Cole Sillinger, the kids out of uh, the OHL. Uh, well, one with a uh, Sillinger out of the USHL, whose dad, Mike, played in the NHL. And then Mason McTavish, whose father was Dale McTavish. Um, he's played in the, in the OHL. So th- there are options there. It's a pretty decent top 10. I think the Devils are going to walk away with a really good player, though. You have, if I recall correctly, in your most recent mock draft, Owen Power going to Buffalo. And then you have Veneers going to Seattle, followed by Eklund to Anaheim. Do you see, obviously you put them there for a reason uh, because you think that's where the teams will go, but do you see with Hughes then going to the Devils? Do you see the possibility though, that one of those teams will have a change in mind? Like what might happen between now and the end of July when the decisions have to be made that might move, say Hughes up a little higher in Seattle's mind or in Anaheim's mind. And then the Devils may have to readjust. I think that the, the, the collective, mindset for most of the NHL scouting community. I don't want to talk for them, but the people that I've spoken to is that there is a lot of uncertainty this year compared to previous years where you didn't have a Jack Hughes at the top. Maybe Cackle will challenge him or a uh, Connor McDavid at the top. Maybe a Jack Eichel will challenge him. I think with this year, as as much as uh, we've seen power kind of separate himself you have to factor in that it's not the strongest of draft classes, number one. Uh, it's not a, a very deep draft when it comes to centers, and we all know that teams look for centers. And I think the fact that when teams watch the postseason and they see how important size and physicality are, that they might say, and goaltending for that matter, they might say, you know what? Like, look what Spencer Knight did, 19-year-old kid, first uh, round pick of the Panthers, and he went into the playoffs and beat Tampa <laughs> Uh, which is a really big deal if you really think about it. So maybe teams would say, you know what, we want to, we'd rather go for a goalie. Uh, and so, uh, as much as I think that Owen Powers should go first overall, uh, you can make an argument that Buffalo could take any of these kids that we have in our top ten to twelve. Uh, so uh, even a guy like Luke, Luke Hughes, I mean, uh, look at the way his two brothers are turning out. Why would Buffalo want to uh, run the risk of letting him not only uh, go to another team but go to a team within the division or within the conference? So there's a lot of it's I think this year when when Buffalo walks up to the stage for the first time in a while, we're really not going to know the direction they're going to be leaning towards. So uh, I think that uh, the goaltending there's actually two goalies uh, that are really good, Kosa and Wallstead, uh, that you might see at least uh, you might see both of them in the top 10. It's that kind of a year. Well, you have Wallstead going to Detroit, and that seems like a perfect Stevie Y pick, though, doesn't it? Like. If you're going to get to six and he's still on the board, that's a guy that Steve Eiserman 
might say, you know what, we're going to take a, you know, he's got talent. He's got a, uh, you know, certainly a, a high regard for his ability, but Iserman loves those kind of somewhat out of the box picks. Yeah. Well, listen, he was GM at Tampa Bay in 2012 in a, in a defense heavy draft, similar to this one. And even though he didn't have a, a top 10 pick that year, he had a, a top 20 pick and he used it on a guy named Andre Vasilevsky. And it turned out to be a really good pick, a uh, guy who's a perennial Vesna candidate. And so I think when you look at all the drafting Detroit's done in the years, they've accumulated so many picks and prospects, usually 10, 12 picks a year that yes, he does go outside the box sometimes, but from an organizational standpoint, you know, and they have all these multiple picks again this year, high picks. Why not just grab? Because you, 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 there's a significant drop off, I think, after those two goalies, Wolstead and Kosa. Uh, so, considering that the Red Wings have all these uh, high uh, second round picks, they have the extra first round pick, then why not just go get rid of the goalie uh, situation, uh, solve the goalie problem uh, immediately, and just work down from there? Well, speaking of extra first round picks, the Devils have two first round picks, one late, which obviously going to fall between 29 and 32. Are there any guys that may fault them in that spot or some guys that maybe Devils fans could keep an eye on as the Devils come up to pick on that second second option? Sure. Well, I think as you get later into the into the first round, then maybe you could look at, at need, right? You can maybe you're going to take a home run swing with your first pick. So maybe you would try to address the need. And when I look at the Devils, if they do address the need for defense or right defense or left defense, whichever, you go for the best player uh, with Hughes or Clark or whomever. Uh, I think goal scoring has been a problem for a while with the organization. They're always ranking near the bottom uh, in the league in offense. And when you have such skilled playmakers, it, you, you want to compliment them. And they did that last year with Holtz, which was a very good pick, and I liked it. But you got to keep going and not just stop until you have proven uh, uh, assets. So there's a chunk of wingers, goal scoring wingers in that like 15 to 25 range and maybe even beyond that. And so you have like mostly your European kids. Uh, the Swedes have about three or four of them. Uh, Isak Rosen is a fast kid who could finish. Simon Robinson is a big, fast kid who could finish. Then they have the really fast kid in Fabian Liesel, uh, who, uh, you know, they've all, uh, if the Devils scout, like I said, they've scouted Alexander Holtz. They've seen all these kids play. Uh, uh, and then you have some Finnish kids, right? Samu Tuomala, if you watch the U18 Worlds, uh, one of the best one-timers in the draft. And then you have the Russian contingent where the devil's been drafted out of Russia. It seems uh, every year, at least one kid. So they have a couple of kids. Nikita Chibrikov is a fantastic physical scorer. They have a, a playmaking dual threat, uh, excitable player. And uh, Alexander Kisakov, who won the league title, actually played against devil's prospect, you know, Masul. And they, they had a little bit of a beef going on there. So if they draft him, I wanted to see uh, how they resolve that once they're in camp together. Uh, so th th there are good options for the devils out there. Yeah. In terms of uh, finishing and and having those dangerous players on the ice that work well with playmaking centers, they'll be able to find uh, some quality down there late in the first round. Are there any guys on your radar for the second day, whether it's second round through seventh round, any guys that might be flying under the radar that you know maybe could get a little steal there, whether it's third round, fourth round, fifth round, what it may be? Yeah, there are a couple of kids. The Devils usually like to draft uh, European kids and college kids. They, they like to draft out of the OHL. Uh, so if they keep with the OHL theme, there's a kid that's been rising up everybody's charts and he just took part in the, the eerie showcase they did for the OHL kids that uh, didn't have a chance to play uh, this season. Uh, his name's Logan Mayu and he's a right shot, big, huge mobile kid with a cannon of a shot. He actually went to Europe as well uh, and he played in Sweden 
uh, for one of their, their lower division teams, but uh, within a few games, he was one of their best players. So he's what you would call a project, right? Big. He's like, I think he's like six, four, but he could move. He could shoot. He could be a playmaker. He's actually a pretty smart kid as well uh, with the puck and puck management wise. So he's a kid that, that I'm, I'm keeping my eye on for devils, even though their second round pick is the, the later one. It's an Islanders pick and not, uh, early in the second, but then uh, you got uh, you know some other. Is a, they like to draft out of the USHL. Uh, Jackson Blake is a kid. Uh, Jason Blake's son. Uh, he's just as uh, dynamic as his father was. Former forty goal scorer, and he scored the game winning goal for his high school team in the Minnesota State Tournament. He scored the game winning goal for Chicago in the USHL uh, in winning their title. So uh, uh, there's a I could go down the list. There's a, another kid I like a lot, uh, Shy Boyum, a California kid from Israel, I think. And uh, he's got similar to Mayu, big left. Uh, well, he's a big left defenseman, but he's that that project. But he's got almost every block uh, is checked. Where he's got the size, he's a he's a decent skater, but more of a heavy shot uh, guy that you want to match up against the top uh, opposing team's top line. But I think with the Devils, you're going to see kids taken from the USHL. You'll see a kid taken uh, a kid or two taken from Russia, and probably a kid taken from Sweden. That's just what they seem to be doing the last few years. They like their kids to not only marinate overseas or in college, but then uh, by the time they come to the the AHL, you're looking at 20, 21, 22 years old, where they're a little bit more uh, they're less green as opposed to some of the kids that come out of major junior. Patience so important when it comes to development of players and and to your point, what the Devils have been doing is wait a little bit. It's okay. Now they had the two first overalls. And of course that fast tracks them right into the lineup into, into the national hockey league. But overall have, have we lost because there's been a Jack Hughes coming right in to the lineup because Connor McDavid has come in and just hit the ground running generational talent, Austin Matthews, et cetera, though he played in Europe. My point is, have we lost the sight of the fact that these are still kids and it's going to be time. It doesn't mean you're a failure if it takes you two or three years to live up to your billing. Uh, it's a great question. And it's a real, it's a legitimate topic that uh, it's, it's very, I think it's more difficult for kids to be prospects nowadays than it ever was. You know, 10, 15 years ago, we team drafted a six round pick, fifth round pick. All right. Maybe you read about it once in a blue moon. You hear, hear his name mentioned on a, on a broadcast and that's it. But now we have blogs and broadcasts and podcasts and vlogs dedicated to fifth and sixth round picks where they're debating their strengths and weaknesses. And so you could imagine how much tougher it is if you're a first or second round pick. And I always try to tell, tell fans and my, my followers that it's not the NFL, that you're not drafting someone to come right in and, and fill a need and, and make, a difference. You you get those types of McDavid once every so often, but um, it's usually a three to six year process. I mean, look at Henrik Lundqvist. He was a, a long-term uh, uh, project. Uh, uh, Martin Bordeaux was drafted in 1990. Uh, he didn't become a, a legitimate star in the NHL until 93, 94. So, uh, and this is with goalies, especially. So I think, uh, you know, the, the ages of pushing these kids to sign the pro contracts as early as possible. Uh, the kids, you know, the, the lore of of reaching it and making the NHL uh, and uh, having to deal with the risk of getting hurt. Uh, it's just it's tough. And, and we dealt we saw that with Jack Hughes, where, where the amount of pressure uh, that uh, he was under. And I thought he he's handled it great. I mean, he was to me, he was the most exciting Devils player this year and uh, one of the top scorers and it's just the way it is. Fans are way more demanding nowadays than they've ever been. And I think that makes it a little bit tougher, but I think the kids are showing uh, their moxie and their ability to, to, to deal with it. And they're being coached right and mentored the right way. But 
You know, uh, I'm happy to see the Devils and their program, how they're playing these kids. They're just throwing them into the fire. And uh, so far, so good with the, with the rebuild. And uh, we'll just have to wait, you know, like uh, like uh, for, for them to become close to a competitive team or a, a playoff team, it might take another year or two. You mentioned uh, the Erie Showcase and that one player in particular coming up on the outside as uh, as they hit the quarter pole, right? He's being brought home to the finish line quickly. Uh, any other quote-unquote outliers, anyone who's really started to move up as the conversation takes place and you speak with scouts and they're now focused and they've had or having their team meetings, there's there's someone who, wow, he was a, he was good and he was considered but now he's being considered at a higher spot for whatever reason. Uh, well, the, the goalie Kosa is one guy that several people were really high on in the beginning. And other people were a little, including myself, were a little apprehensive. Like, I don't know if I'm going to put him in the class yet with the likes of a Jesper Wallstead, who has been decorated for years. Uh, but he's someone that now, now he's under the conversation of a, not only potential first round pick, but a potential top 15 or top 10 pick. Uh, and he's exactly what you want. Big poise, calm uh, in the net. Uh, with goalies, it's tough to really assess them at this age. But uh, he's got that maturity, similar to like a Spencer Knight uh, or even a Mackenzie Blackwood, uh, where they, they kind of show up and right off the bat, you, you, you see the promise. Uh, there's also the, the Russian kid, uh, Svechkov, the center. Uh, people initially pegged him as a, a two-way type. Maybe he won't score as much. But if you watched his full season in Russia, Fedor Svechkov, uh, where he uh, was just, he took over his junior team. He was too good for the junior team. They promoted him to the adult age team. Uh, he did well there and then went to the uh, U18 World Championships and centered Russia's top line. So you're looking at a really good two-way, 200-foot center. Oh, by the way, he could also score and and uh, you know be a good playmaker and puck uh, possession facilitator. So, uh, but I think Mayu is the guy that you really got to watch for. He could be like a, uh, I don't want to say he'll go as high as a Moritz Sider did in, in 2019, where Eisenman shocked us all and took him sixth overall. Uh, but I think Mayu's a kid that you might see sneak into that that middle to late first round and maybe even ahead of some defensemen. Because if the kids are going to rise, then kids are going to fall. And so I think, uh, you know, there's a couple of kids we've, we've seen that maybe some teams might be apprehensive on and they'll fall a little bit and therefore get jumped by uh, some lesser knowns or kids that were rising. Last question for me. Of all the drafts you've covered, obviously you've covered a lot of drafts. Is this the one the most unknown going into just because of the free-for-all, because of the players not in the OHL not being able to play and just not knowing where all the draft boards might be? Is this maybe the the least familiar you the, the entire league is entering this draft? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, we, we didn't have, I think, five major tournaments were canceled. The entire OHL season was canceled. Uh, and so, you know, the OHL usually makes up such a big chunk of the draft and you know, not, not having them play a season. And it wasn't that deep of a group from that league. But uh, for me, I think the best thing about covering the draft uh, in hockey compared to other sports is that you have so many midseason tournaments where you get to compare the league play and their role on that team, whether they're playing against men or whatever, and also the small uh, sample sizes in international tournaments, which is some, most of the time it's a best on best. And so you're going to see elite against elite. And, and we really didn't get a chance for that. Uh, we didn't get a chance with that this year, except for the U18 tournaments. And everybody seems to be putting that stock into that one tournament, as opposed to previous years where we, we it starts off with the Ivan Halenka in August, which is a best on best. Canada sends their best there. And you have at least four more under 18 tournaments thereafter, plus the world juniors. 
Uh, so it was, it was really tough. It was really tough. And I think when you see the interviews with the GMs and the, the scouts, they, they make it a point to say, this was not an easy year uh, to scout these players. And uh, I think a byproduct of that is going to be next year's draft because you're going to see a lot of kids who may have gotten passed over this year simply because they didn't play that much. Now they played a full season. You say, oh, okay, this kid is exactly what we thought he'd be. Now let's give him a shot uh, and, and take him. So uh, the, the effects of COVID uh, are going to keep uh, going when it, in terms of the draft. But uh, I'm just glad that we'll, we'll, we'll go back to normalcy. We'll, we'll have uh, all the tournaments are coming back. The league's going to start on time. So, uh, But this year was, was trying, to say the least. Indeed, for all of us. But you're right. Uh, finally, we're coming out of that long, dark tunnel. And as GMs will say at the draft, this is what our amateur scouts live for. This is their moment in the sun. And I'm sure it's the same for you, Steve. All the hard work that you put in, now it comes down to those seven rounds and where the players go. So it's an exciting moment for you. Yeah, and, and the thing is, uh, and then it starts over again a week later. <laughs> it's true. The offseason is much, much shorter yes. uh, this year, for sure. Anyway, Steve, thanks so much for your time. It was a pleasure getting to know you. Again, uh, follow Steve at The Draft Analyst on Twitter, and that is the website as well, thedraftanalyst.com. Appreciate your time. We'll see how things turn out in July. Thanks again. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate it. Congrats on the new house, honey. What's this? Carbon monoxide detectors? Yeah, put one on every level. Because you can't see or smell carbon monoxide. And when fuel-burning appliances aren't working right, CO can build up and be deadly. Guys, I'm on it. We just want to know you're safe. At PSENG, we're committed to your family's safety. Know how to prevent carbon monoxide poisoning. If your CO detector goes off, leave immediately. Then call 911. Protect the ones you love. Learn more at PSEG.com slash gas safety. So I don't know how long that went, the conversation with both of them, but uh, an hour or so, and it never dragged, which is the beauty of the draft. Man, you can go deep into the bushes. You can talk about the stars for a long time. Special thanks to uh, Steve and Mike for giving us their time, Sam. Yeah, absolutely. And again, we love talking draft. We love talking to these players. And, and as you said, that, that time flew by. I'm still intrigued. I could have them on for another couple hours just digging deeper into these guys. And, and it's amazing how little little attributes separate one player from another. And you think, oh, a hockey player, there's not that much difference between what you do. You know, you, you shoot, you pass, you skate. But they have all those little details, those intricate things, like their battle in front of the net, their work with the puck in the corners, all those little attributes separate. And, and it might be an inch thing. It might be one inch that separates one guy from another. But uh, that's, that's the beauty of the sport. That's the beauty of the pick. And that's what makes the draft so interesting yet difficult. And uh, it's obviously going to be a fascinating year with this year with everything that's gone on. Yeah. And one of the things Mike brought up when it came to in-person scouting and, and how irreplaceable that is, even though, you know, video will have to take its place temporarily this year, watching a goalie in warmup, who would have thought that the scouts are sitting there saying, how does he track the puck? How does he prepare? Is he aggressive? Does he have a nonchalant attitude? So that's the kind of information you got from this podcast. And it does appear as if if things play out the way both Mike and Steve feel it will, the Devils will be announcing Luke Hughes as the fourth pick. But that is not their choice, nor is it ours, but that's the direction it appears to be going, at least in their minds. And the Hughes family, I'm sure, would be happy to hear that, especially Jack. <laughs> and hey, hey, we can have Jack, Ty Smith, and Luke all in the same household at one point, I'm sure. 
What else that would be? <laughs> that would be incredible, right? <laughs> uh, friends for life, brothers, of course, Luke and Jack Hughes. Well, Sam, thanks very much. Uh, blast, great information today, and uh, certainly looking forward to who the Devils will select. Not only the first round, you know, we forget about that. We're so focused on the first round, and people go first round pick, first round pick, and the Devils do have two. But we've seen whether it's a Yegor Sharon Govich or it's a Jesper Brad, there are gems that you find deeper in the draft, too. So it's good that the Devils have a bunch of picks this year, as they've had over the last several years restocking the pipeline. Absolutely. I mean, you build your teams in the second day, as most scouts will tell you. Yeah, you get the, the home run hitter in the first round, but so second round guys, you know, they just signed Nathan Bastian, who was a second round guy, Mackenzie Blackwood, a franchise goaltender, second round guy. So you can get a lot of great players in the second day. Yep. So it bears watching again, uh, July 23rd and 24th. That will wrap up this edition of Speak of the Devils presented by RWJ Barnabas Health, the official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. For Sam Kassan, I'm Matt Lachlan. Thank you so much for your company. It's always appreciated. Until the next time, be safe, be well. So long, everyone. <laughs>